0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Take Cast. My name is Davis Matic. You guys can follow me on Twitter, at Davis Matic. In this episode of the show, I'm joined by my buddy, Matt Friedman. He is the editor-in-chief of the Action Network, and you can follow him on Twitter, at MattFTheOracle. In this episode, we touch on uh, investing during the pandemic and some of the things that you know we just have become more interested in, in general, you know, over the course of, uh, you know, being stuck inside of our houses. We talk about where Devonta Smith is going to fit in the NFL, the ramifications of the combine, maybe being canceled due to COVID-19. And then at the end, some life optimization tips, uh, including gamifying, you know, your, your life improvement, something I talked about on Twitter yesterday. Uh, so I hope that you guys enjoy the episode. If you want to support the show, you can su- subscribe on patreon.com slash You can get bonus episodes of the show there, or you can just leave a rating, a review on iTunes, uh, Amazon Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to the show. That's very useful. That's very helpful. Now, let's go ahead and get into the episode. All right, everyone, bringing Matt Friedman back on the show. It's actually, it's actually been a while. We've done fantasy football podcasts together, but uh, yeah. we are here. We are on. The take cast. The last time you were on the show, you actually DM'd me and you were like, dude, just can we do a show about Antonio Brown, please? Because I'm I'm getting owned online. And um, you know, I'm just gonna say the record shows that you were right. Cause he was Antonio Brown has not been useful. Um, really. He he has been largely inefficient for the Buccaneers. Obviously, missed a year of time in the NFL as well. Um, so yeah, Matt, how we how we doing, buddy?
1: I'm I'm doing all right. We are uh, in the year 2021. Hopefully, it's better than the year 2020. So, uh, but not guaranteed. You know, honestly, who who knows? It it might be worse. Uh, a new strand of coronavirus is out there. So, you know, hopefully, everyone stays safe. But hopefully, we have good things to look ahead to.
0: Yeah. You know, right now, the the sweat for society as a whole is that the the vaccine that is being distributed is now worthless in six months as we are dealing with a a coronavirus um, mutation where the vaccine becomes worthless. Because, I mean, I would imagine that whatever, you know, because we got this reporting, right, Matt, that there was a vaccine that started being worked on for the coronavirus in the United States on January 13th, 2020. That was when they started working on it. And I, I, you'd have to think they probably, even if they started today on a on a virus or on a vaccine for the mutation, like it would still take another what six months to roll out, eight months to roll out. So it's a pretty big sweat we all have going on right now.
1: Yeah. So and like that's on an expedited. Process, which like I have a little less faith on the expedite the expedited process. Like uh I mean, it's, it's not like I'm a a vaccine like conspiracy theorist or anything, but like you know, if, if they're just if they're cutting through some of the red tape, that means that there's a chance that some of these vaccines aren't quite as safe or uh, quite as effective or just not as effective a, a, as we right. would want them to be, right? But but there is, I think, good news that uh some preliminary testing shows that the current vaccine, I believe, it the uh, the Pfizer vaccine. Uh, is effective, uh, or at least reasonably effective against the new strand. So uh, that is some good news.
0: Yeah. Um, and you know, I gotta say, I I'm not a, a vaccine truther at all. If if uh the, you know, a hospital near me was like, hey man, you wanna come and get the Moderna vaccine, I'd be like, sure. Yeah, absolutely. But my my concerns with the vaccine are not like, you know, this is gonna give me autism or, or make me right. sick or whatever. Yeah. It would just be it's not gonna work. I'd get I'd get the sniffles for two weeks from the vaccine, uh, and then it wouldn't work. I, I would I'm more concerned about um, the vaccines not being efficient than like uh you know Bill Gates uh, mind control like conspiracy theories right I, I think I think that's probably accurate
1: yeah that's uh, that's the side I'm on
0: yeah yeah um, all right so I wanted to start this not with football we are gonna talk about football later but you know how has your interest in markets evolved through the pandemic because something I've obviously noted well I mean just myself I've become so much more interested in stocks and um you know crypto and everything during the, the during the pandemic for a couple of reasons one is uh, just everyone's getting rich cuz the markets only go up at this point but then also you know there was kind of that 3 month period where there was really nothing to gamble on so it was like online poker and right. the stock market was like all there was so before you know march 2020 kind of what was your interest in markets as a whole and then how has that evolved throughout the course of the pandemic
1: yeah, I've been interested in markets for probably about a, a decade, um, but, you know, not it, it, it waxes and wanes, you know, so where I'll have ideas, I'll have a strategy, I'll do some things, do some research, buy some stocks long term, and then just kind of forget about stuff for six months, and then circle back to it. And, um, but the, the year before the pandemic, really about two years before the pandemic, uh, started doing more research, uh, you know, and focusing on it much more uh, intently than I had been. And so I, I think I was honestly kind of lucky in that um, I was mostly in cash with some short-term trading positions when the pandemic hit. And a lot of that was just because of research that I had done and uh, some podcasts that I listened to, like financial podcasts and news podcasts. And a lot of what I heard just had me bearish uh, or at least open to the possibility of a pretty substantial market drop um, so I was, I was well positioned when that happened. Now that's not to say that like I timed it perfectly because like I was in cash and the market still went up and you know, then the market went down and I was still in this situation being like, okay, it's now the time to buy. So, you know, you can never, you can never time things perfectly, but I've, I've been interested in the market for a while. And that definitely continues to be the case because no one's ever going to care as much about your money as you do. Even if you get a great financial advisor, like that person is not going to have the skin in the game that you do. And maybe their skill supersedes yours. But in the end, like it's your money. You're the person who has to be thinking about it. So uh, I'm totally still interested in markets and uh, very invested in and just like myself in that way of trying to think about what's going to happen with the future. Are you a big Nassim Taleb guy? Uh, I, I can't claim to be a big Taleb guy in that, like I haven't read all his books, but I certainly, you can
0: su- read, I I've read all his books, yeah. but you could read like three chapters and get the gist of any of them. I'm that, a big, I'm a big Taleb yeah. guy, but yeah.
1: Yeah. So that's, that's my feeling. Like I can't claim I can't claim it because I haven't put in the actual legwork to be able to claim it in a legit way. But to the extent that I follow him on Twitter, uh, I do read some of the stuff that he writes on Medium. I've, I've read, you know, some of his books or like parts of all of his books. Yeah, like I, I generally su- subscribe to his view of the world. Uh, and I, I think he's like the ever contrarian in that like anytime you think you might be able to predict what he's going to say about something, it, it, uh, not, I mean, always, but like it often, like he goes in the exact opposite direction, but he does it in a way that totally seems to fit him.
0: Correct. Yeah. So I uh, I'm, I'm working on this book um, for the take cast. Like, it, I, I issued a, a public challenge to myself. I have bets on how many pages I'm going to write. And um, you know, The the, sort of the general ideas, like you know, stuff I've learned from from doing this show and talking to you know really smart people, and like it's you know it's been great to have uh, you know all kinds of guys I admire and everything on the show, and you know one of the the central ideas I'm just trying to distillate, I'm I'm realizing as I'm writing is like it's really just. The the Taleb books summarize, which is just like we don't know shit. Like we think right. we do, <laughs> yeah. and and we model all these things, and we ha- you know we have experts who make predictions, um and and all of this stuff. But really, what it boils down to is uh, people just become overconfident in their ability to project specifics, yeah. and the more expert they are in that area the more certain they are in their prediction and they're less, so then in the range of outcomes gets narrowed. The band of things that they expect to happen, um, you know, just diminishes and diminishes. And that's like the exact wrong way to view something like the market. Like who, who was projecting uh, the, you know, the 50% dips in the market in March from the coronavirus stuff. I mean, I'm sure what, 10 people had massive, massive shorts in ready to, to become, you know, overnight wealthy. But I, you know, by and large, it took people by surprise.
1: Yeah. Uh, so a, a couple of things coming from this one, uh, I'm going to want to circle back around on the book idea because I, I also, uh, I wouldn't say I'm starting to write a book, but like I have like the, the germination, like the thoughts of a book based on all of the AMA questions that yeah. i get it would basically just be i can't answer all of this stuff on twitter uh i write a book answering all of the non-football questions that i get so that's one thing i'd like to circle back around on the book idea with you too to to talk about the the markets more uh i'd kind of like to get your your thoughts a little bit on on where the the market might be going or some of the things that you're doing and by the way I should just say like obviously I'm not a financial advisor you're not a financial I, advisor yeah, like don't we're, do we're not listen to me to make money we, yeah yeah we, we know nothing um but I'd, I'd like to get your your thoughts on that because like so obviously the market and I just, so the stock market but basically all markets are just going up and up because we have an excess of cash that is just flooding into the system and no one wants to just sit there with that cash because there's you know some inflationary risk there at the same time we are in a period of great uncertainty and volatility and so you don't want to be fully invested in anything right now either because there is the possibility of things just tanking. And so you kind of have to, it seems like have like this middle ground. What, like what I'm doing, I have I have something of a cash position, which I'm supplementing with a Bitcoin position. Uh, and then like the rest, uh, or in like a small metals position, but then like the rest is in targeted companies that I like, and I think might be positioned for the future, but I'm also just waiting, you know, for the market to drop. And that's what the cash position is for. And like right now, uh, like as, as focused as everyone seems to be on, on the market. And like, I get that I'm focused on trying to build the cash position and like saving as much as I can, because at some point things are going to drop again.
0: Yes. So that's, that's so interesting, right? Because as like, I'm not trying to get into trading options and like, you know, uh, Certainly, I think that would maybe be like a, a more intelligent and a more advanced way to handle the situation. Like, if if your sentiment is the market will drop, there will be a bubble, we will see another correction. Like, because I think even people who are like mega invested in, uh, you know, Bitcoin and in, you know, long on the stock market and everything would, would be mm-hmm. able to tell you, like, yeah, we do foresee a dip coming at some point, right? Because it, it, it seems like everything is overbought. For a lot of different reasons, um, you know, part of it is just that the United States federal government keeps printing more and more money. And I, I kind of where I'm at with it right now is like, sure, I I could exit all these positions right now and go to cash, but sort of the central thesis of investing for me, and it's it's different for a lot of different people, is just like, well, the U.S. dollar just becomes more worthless every day, and mm-hmm. staying in the staying in the U.S. dollar is like the quickest road to losing the value of your time. Cause that's all money is right. Money is a right. translation of what you spend your time doing uh, by and large. And, you know, I, I, I gotta say like, I'm kind of tempted to reserve, like, you know, to exit to some cash right now. But then on the other hand, I'm like, I don't know. I, I really, I just, there's like a mental block in going back to cash, partly because of like, you know, all of this, like, you know, obviously very libertarian leaning uh, Bitcoin reading, I do where it's just like right. the the Fed, the Fed is the enemy, inflation is the enemy. You have to stay in stuff that fights inflation or else, you know, you'll be, you'll be uh, a member of the proletariat for your entire life. Right.
1: So I'm trying to walk like this middle ground of having enough exposure in equities where if the market goes up, I'm happy with where I am. Having a Bitcoin position, that hedges my cash position in case there's massive inflation. So it's just, it's balancing. Um, But yeah, it's, I mean, I guess that's just, I feel like that is maybe, if not the optimal way of doing things, maybe like the safest way for me to try to navigate the situation where we're in, because there's just so much uncertainty with the future.
0: Yeah, there is, there is so much uncertainty. And, you know, I mean, part of it is, it is so difficult. Also, like when you, when you embrace the, um, like, I don't want to give Nassim Taleb the, the whole credit for this. Cause he did not originate the idea that experts don't actually know anything, but like when right. you, when you embrace the idea that not only do other people don't really know anything, but like, I don't know anything either. Like I can say, yeah, you know, I think the market is overbought and I can point to all these indicators, but like, I don't really know. No one really knows. No one has the and there are there are just so many variables. What you'll see when you know very intelligent, very smart, um, mathematical people do models is they just cannot control for all of the variables. Right? There's there's seven billion right. people in the world. There's all kinds of uh, you know movement happening, political, um, you know, military, everything happening all the time. So it's just like uh, you, you you can kind of get. Um, per, like paralyzed as a result of all of that information and all of that, or, or just holding that as your opinion. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I, you know, I'm kind of just doing, you know, the state, like I, I have weekly buys set up for Bitcoin. I also actually started doing a weekly buy for Ethereum, but I think that's just a little bit of FOMO. I think, I think that was FOMO of, you know, seeing people uh, making a lot of gains and, and not being a part of it. Cause I don't even, I don't yeah. really buy. Um, a lot of the ethereum use cases because they've been out there for close to eight years now and no one has been able to 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 create the ethereum like killer app
1: yeah so I should just say I'm not a like a crypto um, like truther like I don't do any real research on it um, to me it's just sort of like another market in a, another another currency but uh, do you think that thinking about things in terms of like crypto could be the new sort of gold or something like that. Do you think Ethereum is sort of like the silver to Bitcoin's gold? I
0: I don't know. Um, okay. Because the, the way Ethereum works to me, it never <sighs> – it never made that much sense to like use it as like a reserve asset it kind of like the the use case for ethereum is more people will actually use it right people will use it to create all of these transactions people will use it to set up trustless contracts like smart contracts is kind of like if if someone on the street asked me to explain ethereum i'd be like um you know it's it's a protocol that allows people to do um, trustless transactions and execute payments and everything without uh, a third party, which is kind of what Bitcoin is used for as well. But the the primary use case for Bitcoin now is just like, there's only 21 million of them. There will only ever be 21 million of them and y- you hold it and it's going to beat, you know, whatever country you live in it, it should be yeah. that that country's currency uh, over the long run. So, so to me, I think Ethereum is, is, it's probably wildly overvalued until the killer app gets developed. and you know I mean i don't I don't know what that killer app would look like, but it doesn't mean that it it couldn't possibly exist yeah
1: let's let's talk a little bit about the book. Uh, I'm curious, uh, do you have sort of guiding principles for what you want to accomplish with the book or like the way that you're going about writing it?
0: so the the thesis behind the book is basically, you know, things I have learned from doing this podcast. Right. So there's going to uh-huh. be, there's going to be, um, you know, some, there will be some DFS stuff in there. Um, there'll be like some YouTube stuff in there. Like what I've learned about like the world of like content creation and how search engines work and how SEO works. Um, there'll obviously be like some investing stuff in there. And then, you know, I've, I've also talked to like a bunch of writers, uh, you know, guys who have written, written their own nonfiction books and like kind of about, uh, the, the process of like the germination of an idea, into a book, but it, it's not um it's not like make. I have two chapters done right now, and no one has read them, so they might just be terrible. Uh, I I definitely will probably. I I'm thinking about maybe uh, like posting one of the chapters on uh, the Patreon and just trying to get you know some some comments like just be like oh yeah this is making sense this is enjoyable to read or like this is not very applicable yeah
1: yeah that's that's interesting. I I think that would be a harder book to write. Than, than what I'm thinking about, which is literally just getting questions asked on the AMA and having like that as my writing prompt, uh, right. and, and launching from there. So it'll basically just be like a, uh, a, a, a short form uh, a short form, uh, essay, you know, or like a collection of like miscellaneous essays, basically. Uh, I feel like that would be pretty easy to write. So, you know, whether I actually take the time to do that or not is its own kind of separate thing but uh that's that's the task that I'm thinking about setting before myself
0: yeah. so the the original idea for the book, um Colin Drew came up with it, and he was like, "You should just do." uh like a chapter like you know like 800 to to 1200 words on like the best episodes of the show and like what you know what the key takeaways were so like go back to when you know Laird first came on the show and then go back to yeah. uh when Jeff Collins came on the show and talked about you know live finals and then when Drew and Wiggins came on the show and talked about you know going on 100k down swings in DFS and all and and maybe that is what the book will transition into maybe what I'm trying to do is like um, you know maybe it's too hard maybe it is too like self-important like that's that's one of the, the main thing I would like to avoid is like writing some pompous thing where I'm like oh yeah look at all this shit I know that other people don't know because I don't I don't want it to be that for sure yeah uh, this
1: this might sound weird but it's um, it's like okay so Jonathan Bales is super smart and uh, yeah super accomplished in basically anything he wants to do and i feel in the dfs industry it would be kind of hard to write a book that doesn't try to do a lesser step version on his toes. Of, yeah. of bales you know what i mean uh and so uh i'm not not to say that that's like that's what you're doing but i feel like if like No, that's a a a real
0: concern is like just copying because obviously a lot of the things I'm going to touch on are going to be like, not only things Bales has already written about, but like literally things Bales has said, he's been on the show four times, I think. And like, I mean, he's, he's probably one of my favorite people to talk to in the world night. Like, I think he's so, uh, I think John is like, so incredibly smart and has things figured out a lot better than the rest of us.
1: Yeah. So it's a question of like, how do you, how do you write a book that, because like philosophically you're probably aligned with Bales on a lot of things in terms of like the way that you view the world how do you write a book that is balesian in some sense without it being just like a second rate version of bales like that's that's a hard task
0: yeah it is and and that's why and that is um like obviously that's something i'm concerned about too as i'm as i'm working on it so uh you know as i as i churn out the pages i might like realize like you know, this is uh, this is not that good, or this is cut rate compared to other things that people could read. And I can, I will, you know, uh, rework the pages to become more of Collins' original idea, which is just about specifically episodes of the show, which is good promotion for the show too. If if the book yeah. achieves any kind of um meaningful success, so I, so I don't know. I mean, it it is, uh, it's definitely something I'm working with. I tried to uh, write a book during like hard quarantine. Like when I was like still sanitizing my groceries, like, you know, in like, in like April and June. Um, and I tried, I tried to write a a fiction book and it just was like, it's, it's such a a Herculean task. I don't know how anyone does it. I got like, uh, you know, 5,000 words written and I was just like, this is it's, it's too hard. Um, so I I'm hoping that doing the nonfiction book first just makes the the task less daunting or just to, I, it's honestly kind of a bet with myself just to see if I can even do it. Yeah.
1: That's, that's kind of where I am with the idea of writing the book. So I just, I need to decide, am I, am I going to commit to doing this or not? And I, I'm sort of with you in that. I think a nonfiction book uh, would be significantly easier than fiction. Uh, just in terms of like the, the task of being able to, to think about what to write and how to how to actually go through the mechanism of writing each day. Um, so, yeah. All right. Let's uh, let's
0: let's get into the rest of the show. OK, this is something that's been bigly weighing on my mind the future of streaming services right because so'm I'm, I'm a big I'm a big Star Wars guy right yeah uh, love love Star Wars and basically the future of Star Wars looks like it's not gonna be movies but it's gonna be these limited series run on Disney plus because yes uh, this is this is a big effect of the pandemic as well uh, these companies are trying to transition their, uh, income streams to things that people can buy when they're at home, right? So so Disney parks, uh, those those are looking like a big albatross right now for that company, but not, I mean, if they can capture 50% of the market for streaming services, right? If 50% of, of people that subscribe to streaming services pay for a Disney Plus subscription, that's a giant windfall for them. And they're using Star Wars to do that, right? Because the Mandalorian was big for them, but they got they have to keep people paying for the subscriptions and they have to be generating new subscriptions but the sheer amount of streaming services out there um like it is unbelievable right nbc is offering theirs now cbs offers one uh discovery has one like like name name a company there probably is a streaming service associated and it's it's definitely getting to the point where uh it's it's kind of the same thing as with cable add-ons to the point of where it's just it's just getting um overwhelming so kind of what are your thoughts on the situation and then how do you see it playing out you know over the next five to ten years okay a peacock doesn't
1: that just like look like a joke like am i and maybe i'm like thinking of this incorrectly but isn't that the one that has uh the office attached to it and like basically all of their different packages are revolving around like how much of the office you plan on watching like
0: is that they also have live sports so peacock because and nbc nbc has the broadcast rights to the english premier league in the united states so there are some matches that if you want to watch in the united states you can only watch there it's the same for cbs cbs has the united states broadcasting rights to the champions league which is super popular like even in even in the united states that's super popular and people will pay for the streaming service just for that so that's like even more parceled up but uh one of the things I was thinking about is like, obviously The Office was, you know, kind of the first big show on Netflix. Like everyone is watching, like literally everyone's watched The Office, right? And now if you want to watch it, you either have to buy the DVDs or you have to pay for Peacock. And like, that's a, I would imagine there is not an insignificant number of people who are not going to pay for Netflix anymore because they can't watch The Office or they're going to start paying for Peacock because they want to watch The Office, right? But like, what happens when, all of the rights that Netflix has acquired starts to go off, right? So they, they lose CBS shows, they lose NBC shows, they lose Fox shows. What happens when Netflix becomes like 70% only Netflix original programming? Like I don't, I, I watch some Netflix original programming, but it's not like my overwhelming interest in paying for that streaming service. And then like, does Netflix lose the massive head start that they had on everyone else?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think they do. The question is like how, how soon is it like the expiration for all of the rights that they have? Um, I think like, that's a big question, but um, Disney plus that's, I don't know. Like if I had to make some sort of bet on who wins, I think it might be Disney plus.
0: Cause they also have the Marvel
1: universe, which is significant.
0: Um, They have Marvel, they have the Simpsons and they have Star Wars, which are, uh, I would say three of the five biggest licenses you could have probably. Yeah. And like, this is this is small,
1: but like they also have National Geographic. And like, that's, I know that's like a tiny thing, but like that is, I think, significant enough to where like, it could make some people, like if you want like your sort of nature channel shit, like yeah. you can get that with Disney Plus and it, it makes the entire streaming service like wholesome enough to where I could see parents being like, yes, like we can get everything with Disney Plus that we want. Like we can watch our Marvel movies. We can watch Disney movies. Like we can put the kids in front of the television and they can watch some, you know, like bullshit National Geographic, like National Park show for an hour. Um, I don't know. I, I, I think Disney Plus, like what they offer isn't massive right now, but like you can see them building it out. Uh, and like they have the capital to be able to add more to it so that's the one that i would pick right now um because like disney also owns espn like i can eventually see how they bring a lot of sports
0: into it um they also own hulu yeah, yeah. which so, right now, they operate them as separate entities. I right. think partly because, um, I think because of like an age gate, like they don't want kids watching, um, you know, Mary Kate and Ashley movies and then, uh, putting on Deadpool, right? Yeah. Or, 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 you know, Family Guy or Bob's Burgers or whatever. Yeah. But, Certainly they could just fold those two into one. They could, they could just bring that all to Disney plus. And then you're talking about like, okay, we got loads of movies. We have, um, you know, all of the, the Fox primetime shows then go on Disney plus. And then it, then it becomes like at that point, if Hulu and Disney plus are one thing that probably has more things that people desire than what Netflix has, I would imagine.
1: Yeah. And and so thinking about it, not necessarily from like the customer perspective, but from the investor perspective, like Disney Plus, whether it's like just one or whether it's Disney Plus and then Hulu on the side, like uh, I want to be invested in Disney because I I think that they probably will win the streaming wars. But Netflix certainly is ahead right now, but I, I think they are losing, like they're going to lose momentum.
0: Yeah, I mean they they have been losing massive market share, but I I guess c- what I'm wondering is as we continue over the next 5 years, does it become more and more segmented or does it go the other way where Disney Plus, so Disney owns Fox, they they have the Hulu stuff and everything. Th- do they charge $30 a month and then do they charge $50 a month and then yeah. it's like and then it's it's literally just like paying for cable. Right. Yeah.
1: They just, they would have brought cable into a different medium. Yeah. It's interesting. I mean, the more they add to it, the more expensive it's going to be, especially when they start to push out uh, other people. So uh, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. It will get more expensive.
0: Well, and the other thing is movies. So Christopher Nolan uh, with Tenet, he was like, Nope, we got to put it out. We got to put it out in theaters. I, I absolutely will not sign off on, on direct to video, but uh, the most recent round, like the next upcoming round of um, Marvel movies and uh, like big Hollywood films are all coming out on HBO Max first, yeah. right? Before yeah. they even go. I, I mean, I'm sure they'll have some kind of theatrical release, but like people are just not really going to movie theaters right now. And I I, I would imagine that that just becomes the norm that it, it probably from uh, these large, gigantic corporations, it, it makes more sense to release them at home and charge people 20 bucks at home to, to rent the movie as opposed to whatever, you know, I don't know exactly how the deal works with like movie theaters and everything and distribution rights.
1: Yeah. I mean, like I would pay not to go to a movie theater, you know, so like to be able to watch a movie in my own home, you know, like it's because of the improvement in television technology over the past like 30 years, you know, like it—it it is at this point, I think, uh, a better experience just to be able to stay at home and watch your stuff there instead of going to a theater, taking the time to go there, having to sit with other people, having to eat their disgusting popcorn. It's yeah, it's a better experience just to be at your house. And so I imagine that uh, increasingly we will see studios cater to that type of in-home experience.
0: Well, I definitely like going to the movie theater um like i like eating i like eating the shitty junk food and and getting an icy and everything like i i enjoyed that but it it is kind of the same argument of like it's it's unquestionably better to watch red zone on sunday than go to an nfl game it it really is like i i used to go to probably like three chiefs games a year and like yeah it was fun and and the Chiefs are great and they would always win because they have you know Patrick Mahomes and and it was like I had a nice time but it you know it's cold uh the parking situation at Arrowhead Stadium is like literally like you'll you're it's it's an hour in and it's two hours out like it is it is yeah unreal how terrible the parking is like and and it's kind of the same thing with the movies right where it's like you know you got to go it's it's like a 4 hour excursion as opposed to like you can you can do it at your house you can eat whatever you want you save some money you know it it i mean i i get the perspective of like yeah i'd rather just sit and watch it on my couch
1: yeah i mean the theaters i would say like uh you know for for big movies so uh, for all the stuff that's on disney plus like whenever star wars comes out like i want to see it in the movie theater whenever like a big marvel movie comes out i would see yeah. it in the movie theater but those are really like some of the only instances even over like the past five years in which I've gone to the movie theater other than that like if just a normal kind of like indie film comes out yeah like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not kind of I'm like, not yeah. going
0: I'm not going to uh, a movie theater to to see like uh, some some brooding uh you know like or, or like a Woody Allen movie actually is a great example of like I like I'm yeah. not I mean although I believe he's been canceled now um but yeah like I, I mean like that i feel like
1: woody allen like people tried to cancel him in the 90s this might be the one guy who is like uncancelable um just just because he's woody allen and he's still somehow survived to this point and everyone's worked with him so everyone at right. some point is complicit
0: yeah or like actually the better example would be like matt damon movies because i i love matt yeah. damon movies um like, but like, yeah, if there was like a newborn movie or something, I would not go see, even like no pandemic. Right. Every, like if yeah. everyone's vaccinated. We're all good. We're all back to normal. I'm not, I'm not uh, leaving my house, going to the movie theater and getting, getting the popcorn and the IC to see whatever the next Matt Damon movie is. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's, let's get to it now. Let's get to football. Devonta Smith, decode the black box for me. What is, what is the Oracle's position? Uh, my my position is I don't have a, a set position yet,
1: um, but here here's where I am in the thought process. So obviously in 2020 he was dynamic, you know, winning the Heisman Trophy. We're recording this the day after the national title game, where uh, in a half of football he looked like the greatest college wide receiver of all time, right? So like 2020 was awesome. 2019 he was the most productive receiver on Alabama, and that was even with Jerry Judy. Henry Ruggs and Jalen Waddle on the team. You know, just in terms of like the yards, the touchdowns, he was the most productive receiver, even though Jerry Judy was there. Uh, the thing is, in 2018, he played behind Judy Ruggs and Waddle, even though he was older than Judy and Ruggs, and even though he had one year more of experience in the system than Waddle. Like that is a pretty big red flag. He didn't break out until he was a 21-year-old junior. So he has the late breakout age going against him. And then he returned to college for a senior season. And as, uh, I mean, transcendent as his senior season was, it's another red flag that he's not an early declarant for the NFL draft. Uh, And so, I mean, I'm torn. Like I'm very torn because it's the situation of all of the roto type of things that we value versus my eyeballs, you know, and like my eyeballs tell me this guy's good at football. Um, and he's going to be certainly drafted in the first round, probably in the top 10, like maybe even in the top five, you know, like think of like a, like a Tavon Austin type of situation. Like you could see easily how we see Devonte Smith end up in the top 10. So I'm, I'm torn because a guy who can play football the way that we've seen him play football, who has high draft position, like I'm going to be inclined to believe that that guy can have NFL success. But I mean, there's a big question as to how fast he is. He's 175 pounds and he's not like 175 pounds and like 5'8", five 5'9". Five he's like that stretched out like 6'1", one, 175 pounds, which just makes me feel like he's going to break. The, the second a linebacker lays into him. Uh, and again, like we just, we kind of don't know how fast he is. Like if a guy's 175 pounds, I want him to be pretty fast. Like I want him to be running under a, a 4-4. And yeah. I don't know if we're going to get there with him. My my feeling is we probably won't. Maybe we'll get in the low 4-2, sorry, the low 4.4s, like a 4.42. And so like, it'll be on the borderline as to whether I think that's fast enough For a guy of that weight, so like you put all of this together, and it feels like he's a a borderline guy and type of in terms of me trying to make like a very like zero one yes no is this guy going to have NFL success type of decision. What I should say is that I feel and maybe I'm wrong, maybe this is just anecdotal in the way that I'm remembering stuff, but I feel that whenever we've had borderline guys like this. The roto vizzy people have been wrong. Um, like I'm thinking of Odell Beckham Jr. Odell, like who was very yeah. divisive, and then like Calvin Ridley, like yep, you know, like, well, he was
0: like 24, right? Cal- yeah, like literally, yeah, yes, he, yeah. yeah,
1: he was, he was like a 21 year old freshman, you know, uh, and and so it's it's a situation where there have been a number of these guys. Who, he
0: literally uh, was a 24 year old rookie. I like. Yeah. I thought I was maybe making that up, but I, no. I'm literally not. Like, yeah, he, he, yeah. He, <laughs> and,
1: and, and 20, uh, that's insane. He was a 21 <laughs> year old true
0: freshman. <laughs> um, imagine that's that's crazy. What did he go to community college? Like, I don't like. Literally, no. I don't even know.
1: No, it's just that he was an old high school player. He couldn't even play his final season in high school because he was too old. Uh and and so you know, but he was a five-star recruit going to Alabama and he broke out right away as a as a true freshman. And the thing is, like, you know, a whole bunch of Roto-Vizzy type of people held his age against him. But the thing is, like, sure, okay, age matters, but I think a lot of what has been caught up in focusing on age is that like it there's a strong overlap with like experience and where a guy is in his college career. And, like, I would posit, and Anthony Miko's done research on this, but like, I would posit that uh, the year a guy breaks out is maybe just as important or pretty close to just as important as the age at which he breaks out. Uh, And so, with someone like Calvin Ridley, right, he broke out the earliest he could as a a true freshman. Granted, he was 21 years old, but he was still a true freshman when he did it. Um, But I think RotoVizzy people missed out on Ridley because we were focused more on age and less on the fact that like he did it right away. Uh, And so I'm just saying, I feel that Smith is one of those polarizing guys and it's going to split down between like the film watchers on one side with him, the, you know, stat analytics and like numbers cruncher people on the other side. And when we've had some of those big splits in the past, the people who tend to focus more on the numbers and less on like, this guy as a football talent, like we have gotten it wrong.
0: So I I definitely agree with you as uh, holding the world's largest L with, uh, with Odell Beckham. One of the things, one of the things that's interesting to me though, is like, well, what happens if Jalen Waddle goes really early too? like, let's say Devonta Smith goes like top 10 and then Waddle goes like 40. So then we have Judy rugs, yeah. Waddle, Smith, and they all go with like sick draft capital. Like draft capital that would really like bump they up will. a prospect in your mind. Mo- yeah. Well, Waddle is the Waddle is the question mark. I could see him going second round. I could see him going uh fourth round because he, mm. he didn't play. He didn't I play. Just, I disagree. I it, you think D- you think he just D-K gets K-K drafted mega early? Yeah. yeah. Okay. That okay. Yeah. 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 I mean I I think that Waddle, I mean he'll test better than Smith. He'll be Yes. He'll be a uh, hundred and ninety-five pounds, six-one, and will run like a, a four-three-nine or something. Like well, he'll—he'll be—he'll be the think model he's, guy. I
1: don't think he's going to be that tall, but I think he will be—you sure. know—tall, tall enough and thick enough. You know, he's not going to be tiny. Like I think he'll be around like hundred and ninety-ish pounds. And I think he'll, he'll run very solidly in the four fours, maybe a little bit faster than that. I mean,
0: but, he seems faster to me yeah. than Devonta Smith. When I, like, he, Devonta he glides, is. but Waddle, like, burns.
1: Yeah, and, and you see that, like, that's basically the difference between their recruitment status. Like, Waddle was a real four-star recruit, whereas Smith was, like, a three-four-star recruit. And I, I know that that doesn't seem like a big difference, but, like, there's – there's a pretty big difference between those two and the difference basically does count come down to athleticism. And I know it's a small sample, but Waddle in the first four weeks of the season, he actually was outproducing Smith. And I think it's going to be a DK Metcalf type of situation where people look at what he did in that small sample and kind of extrapolate it out or give him just a lot of credit for that small sample. And the fact that he's a great athlete and end up taking him in the second round.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I, and, and if Waddle is going, you know, if Waddle goes at the tail end of rookie drafts, right. Like tail end of the first round, I would prefer him to, to Smith at like the one Oh three. Cause I think the, in super flex, it will be Lawrence Harris Smith in, you know, regular dynasty drafts. It will be, um, Harris Smith and or chase right I, I think and there'll be there'll be a big divide between uh Jamar Chase and Devon Smith I mean for me it's it's got to be it's got to be Jamar Chase especially after seeing how good Justin Jefferson has been in the NFL because I mean look with if We don't know shit, right? And one of the things that we did not know was how much of Justin Jefferson's success was playing with Joe Burrow. You know, basically the best college quarterback ever, Joe Brady, maybe one of the best play callers in college football ever. To the point where, like, Justin Jefferson was just wide open. Like, he was just scheming guys wide open. Like, you never saw Justin Jefferson have to make a contested catch because he was always just wide open. And so there was a little bit. Like, I mean, Justin Jefferson was going in the second round of rookie drafts, right? Like, don't let don't let anyone. That's unbelievable. Yeah, don't let anyone tell you they knew Justin Jefferson was a superstar because his ADP was like after Michael Pittman Jr. in rookie drafts, and I, and he, yeah, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and he had the best rookie wide receiver season ever because there was just so much unknown with that LSU system. Jamar Chase was really good with Joe Burrow, and then he was—I I mean, I—I I don't even know. Like, what? Like, what do we think Jamar Chase did? Market share wise, this year for LSU, like I bet it's even. I bet it's even more absurd. Jamar, I don't think he played this year, right? Oh yeah, he didn't. So yeah. wow, so dude, so he is in a black box because he opted yeah. out. That's another thing. Is um, there is going to be uh, all of the modeling and everything? Like some teams only played five games. Guys missed games with COVID. Guys opted out. Um, so wow, Jamar Chase is literally in a black box. Wow, yeah, I have, yes. I have no idea what to do with this guy.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I would like to get your thoughts, kind of going back to to Justin Jefferson to kind of think about Jamar Chase a little bit. So Jefferson, I was, I think, higher on him than most, and it's not to say like I'm saying this to be like I was great because like I I probably I still had him ranked too low, but I had him as my wide receiver three after the draft, and it, it was basically it was based on the like the numbers, you know, a 21 year old true junior who was 6'1 and 202 pounds, but ran a 4.43 second 40 time. Like, so he had the athletic profile. Uh, He obviously had the production in college. He was young. He was an early declarant. Um, He could play inside and outside, like in his breakout season as a sophomore, he was a perimeter receiver. And then in his junior season, when he totally blew up again, he was a slot receiver. So he had sort of like that Stefan Diggs-esque, like inside-outside versatility. And then going into Minnesota, you could see him like being able to occupy the targets that had gone to Diggs before. Uh, And so like, I, I was pretty optimistic on Jefferson. I mean, clearly if you go back and do this again, like you you put him as like the number one player in the class, but you know, if, if I was that high on Jefferson last year, assuming that we see even average athleticism out of Jamar chase, like I have to be pretty high on him. Um, I mean, he had more
0: touchdowns than Justin Jefferson when they played together. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So I I have to be pretty high on on Jamar Chase because he's I think he's also going to be 21 years old. Um, I think he's bigger. Who knows athletically what his testing is like, but I think he was also like the higher recruited player. So I'm assuming that athletically – he and and he played did. as
0: a an eighteen year old true freshman yeah. at LSU as well. Justin Jefferson had fifty four receptions. Chase had twenty three. Uh, yeah. But I, I think Je- Jefferson was obviously a year older and yeah. and didn't Jefferson did not play at all as in twenty seventeen. Yet he, he played in two games and had. Uh, one rushing attempt yeah
1: thinking about the guys who are going to be at the top of the board you mentioned uh obviously in super flex some quarterbacks and then how it might come down at wide receiver to uh to chase uh versus smith um i am also going to think that he he won't be in this conversation but potentially he he should be in the conversation rondell moore out of can't do it
0: can't do it why he's as tall as me does, he should, he, he should, he should go in the first round, but the, the issue you're going to have with him, I think is actually very similar to the rugs issue where he might be really good. I still think rugs is good. I still think rugs has a great skill set and is going to be really g- He will be great at some point in his NFL career. But if you do like, he cannot just play anywhere. Like you can't, you can't be like, okay, Rondell Moore, just go run boundary wide receiver routes. Cause he's, he's too small. He is really small. Like he is small to the point to where he's not gonna have any comps. Like his comps are gonna maybe,
1: maybe. We we will see. I, I mean, we will see. He was the fastest wide receiver in his recruitment class, ran a 4.33 when he was, you know, like 17, 18, broke out as a true freshman when he was 18. Uh, I think he's probably going to be even faster. Um yeah, know, he should so... run he should run a four-three. So if I mean he might, he might run faster than that. Like, but let's say it's just four, three, we're still looking at a guy who was incredibly productive as an 18 year old, true freshman productive as a receiver, productive as a runner, productive as a return man. Um, And so I'm saying like, he's not going to be at the top of the conversation and that's fine, because that means he's going to provide great value for whoever gets him in the second half of rookie drafts, Uh, like in, in like the second half of the first round of rookie drafts. Um, and I would say like, we might be looking back two years from now and be like, yeah, Ron, Rondell Moore should have been at the top of the board. Uh, I, th- I think he will provide a lot of value. So I'm like, I'm fine with him not being in the conversation because he's the guy I'm going to be targeting everywhere. And then I would say at running back, like there are going to be people, even though this is a, another strong wide receiver class, I think there are going to be people who take running back near the top of the board. So Travis Etienne.
0: Najee e- Harris. I I both, like ETN more them. than Najee Harris personally.
1: Yeah. yeah, I I do too. But I think both of them like they they will both have their truthers. So uh, they they will go easily in the top five. But I I could see how they also end up going well, like
0: in the top three. So this is this is pretty interesting for last year's class. Ceh ends up with the highest ADP. You know that obviously. Uh, it seems misguided now. But maybe you know it might be different next year, right? Like full, full training camp, no pandemic, uh, Le'Veon Bell, not with the team, yada, yada. He might get 300 touches next year, score 15 touchdowns. And and that pick looks like it was correct. I mean, uh, CD probably should have gone number one overall, uh, and and wasn't even close, but what's even more interesting is it was the absolute, it was this generational, class right abs uh, of wide yeah. receivers right yeah. we we got we got cd we got judy we got lamb we got justin jefferson um we got t higgins we have brandon Ayuk, all of these guys and i still think with all of that hindsight you still might take jonathan taylor first overall I- if you go yes. back now with all of the information we have even knowing that justin jefferson set the rookie wide receiver record for for uh yards you still might take Jonathan Taylor number one overall. Like, for their careers over the next five years, Jonathan Taylor's ADP will will be three rounds higher uh, yeah. on average than Justin Jefferson's will be in redraft.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I would say, like, I, I don't want to be, like, the Cam Akers truther, but, like, Akers is... Like, I I think he's in the mix. He's, he's clearly behind Jonathan Taylor at this point, but I think Akers has flashed enough over the past month. And then especially what he did last week in the playoffs, what he potentially could do this week against green Bay. Like I could see Akers being someone who, you know, kind of disappointed everyone who was hyped on him in year one, but then really explodes in year two and where it, it ends up looking like this was a great class all the way around. With all of the wide receivers, of course, but then you have Taylor, you have Acres. I could see Ceh having a good second season based on the offense that he's in, taking a second year step forward, especially as a receiver. Um, I I think this will actually be a class that people remember with you know like a lot of uh, a lot of excitement, and we haven't even talked about James Robinson or Antonio Gibson. Well, or James, Robi- James
0: Robinson is going to be a trivia answer.
1: Well, yes, but I'm just saying like for someone to come out of nowhere and and win leagues for you in yeah. year one, like that's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah. Um I'm I'm a little bit less bullish on Acres, largely because I'm not bullish on the Rams. Like yeah. I, I think the problems that exist for the Rams now are only going to get worse as because like we're seeing no signs of progression for Goff. Um, like he's not he's, like Sean McVay. Sure they made the playoff. Sure they beat the Seahawks. But like the Jared Goff problem has not been solved. Like opposing teams still know exactly what's coming. Uh, there. I mean, I guess what you could say for Acres is as Goff continues to just be Goff, they are becoming more and more run heavy. Yeah. Like Cam Akers could get 2017 Gurley workload next yes. year for sure. That yeah.
1: That is the thesis. That's I think that's the investment thesis in him is that the team won't want to rely on Jared Goff who will be sufficient enough, um, but not good enough. Yeah.
0: They'll be the 10th yeah. best offense in the NFL instead of the third best yeah. the way they were in Gurley's circumstances.
1: Yeah. That's, that's, I think what we're going to see next
0: year. Yeah. Um, So another big question, let's say the combine actually does get canceled. Something that Adam Schefter hinted at on Twitter earlier in the week. Not only does this, like, I know a lot of people in the dynasty community are like, you know, whatever Uh, we, we care about that stuff too much and we should care more about, production and age like it's it's not only it's not only the film watchers who are like the combine doesn't matter but there are like number grinding people who are like the combine doesn't matter and to some extent it doesn't matter because it's double counting because the combine stuff is so in like it has such a large influence on where guys are drafted like guys with bad combine bad combine stumble guys who are way better than expected of the combine shoot up draft boards we see it happen all the time but if the combine is canceled that puts the NFL in a black box. And it really puts us in a black box because we don't know a lot of the variables for like why guys are drafted. Where like, you know, like for example, Hakeem Butler without the combine, where would he have been drafted? Right. He was someone we all loved, but he went in the, what was it? it was the first pick of the fourth round yeah. for the, for the Cardinals. Yeah. And you know, like, he was a guy who was a consensus first-round pick before that, right? He was ranked as a, as a top-five rookie, really, um, or top-ten rookie in that class. So, like, we don't have a combine. We're just trying to read the tea leaves of the draft results. Like, what impact would the combine being canceled have on evaluating these rookies? Like, it would be insane. You know,
1: I don't think it would actually have that much of an impact because I still think that there would be um, – there'd be pro days. I think pro schools days, yeah. would basically just take the matter into their own hands. And uh, so we would be dealing with just a whole bunch of pro day data instead of the more streamlined combined data, which like would be annoying in a couple of ways. Cause it's like, you don't get all of your information at once. So you're like always having to comb through uh pro day data. And then also, you know, like pro day data isn't as standardized. Uh, and so, you know, it will be annoying but it won't be massively annoying. And even if there aren't as many pro days, you know, like I, I have like models is too kind of a word to use for like my spreadsheets, but you know, like I have different models, you know, to project players one before the combine one after the combine and one after the draft. And so if I end up not having uh, physical data for a guy then it's just some sort of combination of the pre-combined model and the post-draft model. And so that's really just what it would be for a whole bunch of guys this year if we don't end up knowing, you know, how fast a guy runs or something like that. So it would it would be annoying, but I don't think it would actually end up being that big of a deal.
0: Yeah, that's uh that's you know, that's probably fair. You know, okay. and, and sorry,
1: one, one more way of thinking about this is like we actually already have a chunk of physical data on these guys based on what they did as, uh, as recruits. And that's not perfect, but it is, it is enough. Uh, it's enough in a couple of ways. One, you can actually correlate what guys do uh, as recruits to what they end up doing later uh at, at the combine and so like that could give you a a sort of range a projection of what a guy's forty time might have been but then even without going through that exercise of correlating like it's enough to know that a guy was like a four and a half star recruit, and as like a seventeen year old, eighteen year old ran a four point five forty when he was going into college. Like that, that information like checks the box. That gives you enough of the information to know like, okay,
0: this guy is a plus athlete. Right. Okay. I want to talk a little bit about the quarterbacks. Um, which quarterback? other than Trevor Lawrence. Cause I think we all kind of just acknowledge he's, he's the best one. Um, he, he NFL decision makers yeah. seem unanimous. He seems uh in as a prospect in the sense of like, he, he's going to run a little bit. He's going to elevate whatever, uh, I guess the Jaguars are, are the shitty team. That's going to take him and he's going to, he's going to make them better. He's going to make Lavisca and DJ sharks life a lot easier than trying to catch passes from Mike Glennon, you know, all of that stuff which one do you see as the ability like has the upside to you know be elite right like uh, be a difference maker be be better than Derek Carr uh, for for both like actually their NFL teams and then which one has the ability to break the glass ceiling for fantasy right to be to be a guy you know worth drafting with uh, a first round rookie pick in superflex um
1: so let's kind of start backwards like at like the the bottom of the list of the guy that like m- maybe has a chance so i would say like at it's the gonna, bottom, it's
0: gonna be the same guy for you and i both i think
1: uh i'd say the bottom of the list is maybe kyle trask but like he no, has no. severe running I, i'm limitations. not interested
0: in kyle trask but, at all, okay yeah. so
1: like i like i i'm not interested in him either but i'm just saying i could see someone making a case for him so like he has severe running limitations so i'm just kind of dismissing him out of hand trey lance obviously is a good runner, uh, but he's coming, you know, from a small school. He really didn't play this year. Uh, and so we just, we kind of don't know. Uh, and he's, he's young, so it might take him a little bit of
0: time, but he's that, going that's to be, my guy. Lance yeah. Lance is my dude because he, he runs, he's a good runner. He's yeah. got a fucking cannon. Like he just, like he can just toss bombs. Yeah. So Very, I mean, very similar to a lot of these, uh, you know, project style quarterbacks. Like, I actually very similar to Herbert kind of in a way of like, nothing really that impressive, you know, on film at college. Like, if you go back and watch uh, Justin Herbert at Oregon, I mean, he's fine. They, They beat bad you know, pack, uh, pack 12 teams. Um, But then in every big game, basically he would struggle. He made poor decisions. He threw a lot of interceptions and Lance only played one game. They basically, they staged an exhibition game for Lance, his final season at North Dakota state, because they wanted NFL teams to get a little bit more film on him. But Lance to me seems like the, the potential, glass ceiling crusher, where if, if he hits what his 80th percentile range of outcomes is as a pro, he's just, he's just a stone cold crusher.
1: Yeah, I can say I I don't see the Justin Herbert comp at all, but I should say not like, not not yeah. as
0: a player. I think they'll yeah. play much okay. differently, but just yeah. in the sense of like Justin Herbert was a second round super flex pick, not a second round rookie pick. He was right. going in the second round of super flex drafts. No one no one thought he was going to come in and and what what did he he threw the most touchdown he accumulated the most touchdowns of any rookie or most yards. Yeah, honestly, most I don't touchdowns. know which. I think, one?
1: I think both.
0: Literally, this was, this was not like even Justin Herbert's like the chargers, you know, they, they yeah. spent the six overall pick on him and they did not know what they had in him, you know, as evidenced by the fact that Tyrod Taylor started the season, like, like Herbert probably didn't even know he could do that, to be honest with you. um, So that that's more the comp, not, not a stylistic comp. Yeah.
1: So I, I can see it with Trey Lance because he is, as you said, like a a great runner. Um, but he, he is younger. And so like, and he hasn't played as much. So they're just, there are uncertainties with the projection there. Um, Zach Wilson, obviously like cannon arm, maybe good enough as a runner, but coming from a non-major school, I'm just, I'm not as sold on him. Uh, like Justin Fields, like he feels like the, the guy that I have to go with here. You know, he was like in the recruitment class, like right there with trevor lawrence you know lawrence was the number one packet uh pocket passer recruited uh phil's was the top dual threat quarterback recruited so he has that running capability that we love to see he is coming from the big school he had some you know big performances he's going to be drafted in the top 10 i'd say probably more like the top five um he's the guy that i would lean on but like trey lance i'm i'm with you in that like he would be the cheaper option of the two Um, and I think his upside could be just as high and maybe a little bit higher.
0: Yeah. I mean, I probably won't take fields at all in any draft. Um, because I, I would prefer like in super flex, I would imagine he goes, what do you think his ADP will be three or four? Uh,
1: Maybe number two, to be honest. Yeah. Um,
0: I, and I would take, I would take chase ETN Smith, and Harris over him in Superflex I think um and part of that is because a lot of my dynasty teams have spent the 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 last 12 months tanking just kind of cuz i well i i've i have dak prescott on all these teams yeah um, and, and so on those teams where I had Dak Prescott, I just, I sold everything that wasn't tied down. Cause I, I knew I wasn't winning anything. Um, and then also, uh, Lamar teams that should have been successful this year. were not cause Lamar was what quarterback 11. I think he ended up, yeah. um, and, and those teams needed Lamar to be, you know, the quarterback one. So I have a lot of early picks. Um, but I, I'm not in per in like my personal play. I'm not actually that desperate for quarterbacks. Um, so that would, that would definitely trend in the decision, but also I think that those four guys, um, Smith chase Harris and ETN have the ability to, you know, 24 months from now be ranked at the top 12 in their position. And I don't like, I don't know if fields for the jets gets there. Right.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's fair. And, and a big part of it is that Trey Lance is someone who would be available later. Yeah. And I, I,
0: so if, if you're telling me, Justin Fields, 102, 103, Trey Lance, 204, 205. I mean, I'm, I'm going Trey Lance. I mean, Trey Lance is not going to start year one, though. That's that's another – you're not getting any yeah. points from Trey Lance year one, I would imagine. Whoa, man. What if the Broncos take Trey Lance? They never will because Elway would, would – uh, he would rather just take another uh, statuesque non-mover. But, I mean – Trey Lance with the Broncos, I you, he would go in the tail end of the first round, I think. Yeah.
1: Zach Wilson feels like the perfect next Broncos yeah.
0: quarterback. <laughs> well, w- will, will Zach Wilson make it to the second round, though? Because I don't think the, the Broncos, for whatever reason, they do seem adverse to spending the first round pick on a quarterback. Like, even though they, they haven't had a quarterback since Peyton Manning, they still have not traded up. They still have not spent um, a first round pick on a quarterback.
1: Yeah. Uh I, you never know. I I could see them doing it if they fall in love with their guy. And Wilson feels like the type of person who could be their guy.
0: So, um you, but you no, know he
1: won't I doubt he will fall to the second round.
0: You know who the you know who the Broncos guy is going to be? Yeah. Um it's going to be Mac Jones. Right?
1: Yeah, but he's I I don't think he's going to declare. You think he's going to stay? I think he will stay. Maybe maybe I'm wrong, but he has only one year as a starter. And I just I see him like pulling, uh, what was his name like McCarron? I see him sort of like pulling a McCarron and staying at like Alabama all four years,
0: and then going to the NFL. I'm, I'm and then, I might and be then becoming and then becoming a broadcaster or a coach yeah. after like three more years. Yes. Um, I wonder if do you think Sam Ellinger gets drafted? And does he get drafted? He gets drafted by the Ravens in the sixth round for
1: sure. He, yeah, I was gonna say he definitely feels like a fifth or sixth rounder.
0: Yeah. Um, there's not like really any, I guess if I was going to take a deep guy who I think could maybe end up starting, it would maybe be Kellen Mond, who I just have no idea if he's any good or not, but he does, he runs a little bit and he's got like, he's a, he's a toolsy quarterback who, who never like, he just never makes good decisions and has terrible footwork.
1: Yeah. Honestly, like after, after like Trey Lance and maybe Kyle Trask, I'm not really looking at, at any, any quarterbacks. Cause these are all guys that are going to be going like day four.
0: Yeah, but four good quarterbacks though—Lawrence, Fields, Lance, and Wills. I mean, those guys probably all go in the first round. Like someone's got to believe. I mean, someone's got to believe in Trey Lance. Like Trey Lance yeah. will be. So, I think someone will trade up for him probably. But I would imagine he—he probably go, does go in the first round. Yeah,
1: I think all four of those guys. There's a good chance they go in the first round.
0: Yeah. Man, if, if Lance, oh, so if Lance goes to a spot where he is clearly not a year one starter, um, I I'm very interested in him because then he'll like if he goes to somewhere where there is a vet quarterback ahead of him, like let's say the Steelers take Trey Lance or something like that. Yeah. Um, which I mean, and I I that that's just total spitballing. Um, like that is a that's a great spot to draft a developmental quarterback. I think.
1: Yeah, that that would be interesting, and you know, I think. I, I made this mistake last year with uh, with Jalen Hurts. In uh, I did and, and basically de- <laughs> devaluing, yeah. devaluing him because uh, I thought he would be on the bench for at least a year, maybe two years. Uh, like these situations can turn very quickly, uh, and so I think there could even potentially be the opportunity. Herbert if, too. If Trey Lance, yeah, her exactly, Herbert too. Um, but Herbert was different with like in my thinking of it because Herbert was still a first rounder. Yeah, he's sixth overall. Yeah, um, you know, so like if Trey Lance is uh, is discounted in dynasty markets because he's sitting behind a veteran, like he would be someone I would absolutely want to buy at cost. You know, because I I think he does have that that potential, uh, and I would bet that he would end up starting sooner than most
0: people would think. What would you pay for Jalen Hurts in super flex right now? I mean, it's, it's gotta be a, a first rounder, right? A first plus. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I yeah. do not think, I do not think the 108 for Jalen Hurts gets it done in super flex. Yeah. Like maybe like 101 through 104 gets you hurts in super flex i think yeah but would you rather
1: would you rather have trevor lawrence or jalen hurts
0: i'd rather have trevor lawrence right i think
1: think most people rather would so you know you're not you're not trading the 101 but you know at that point then like i'd rather have him over justin fields uh i would rather i'd rather have hurts than fields yeah uh and so then like would you rather have hurts over like jamar chase or over it would depend
0: it would depend on my team right if i needed if i needed a a konami code quarterback and i had like let's say i have a team i took jonathan taylor last year um i have let's say chris godwin uh one one chiefs player whether it be ceh whether it be tyreek whether it be kelsey like i have i have a team that made the playoffs last year but i was rolling out um uh big ben and Derek carr as my super flex quarterbacks I, I would ship anything but the 101 for Jalen Hurts.
1: Yeah. So, I, I mean, I think that's where we are. Somewhere between the 101 and the 102 is maybe the right price, pretty close to the right price for Jalen Hurts. Uh, so, I mean, you know, that's that's significant. That's uh, that's some real draft capital there.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Last thing. Well, any anything else with the rookies you want to talk about?
1: Uh, no, I don't think so. It'll be... I'll be curious to see obviously what happens with the combine and uh, you know, like guys that I I'm anxious to see their 40 times. Like I want to see what Devonte Smith runs. I want to see like some of these smaller wide receivers. I want to see what they run because like whether I'm right or wrong, I just have this bias against small receivers who aren't fast. And if there's a guy who is small and I don't have a 40 time on him, it makes me very nervous. Um, so like, I'm just going to want to know what the 40 time is for some of these smaller wide receivers, like, uh, like Tylan Wallace, uh, from Oklahoma state. Like, I'm going to want to know what his 40 time is. You know, he's like, I, I like
0: Tylan Wallace. I ranked I him, I ranked him higher than consensus. I just put out my, my very preliminary rankings, um, uh, this morning, right before yeah. you and I went on and I, and I had, I had Tylan Wallace ahead of consensus.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think he's, he's been productive for multiple seasons, um, but you know, he's only 185 pounds. Like I'm just going to kind of want to see what
0: his 40 time is. I, Maybe he's I, a little bit bigger than that, you know, but. What if, what if weight doesn't really matter anymore? Because guys, like who is even throwing, like who is designing their offense around contested catches these days? Like that's like no good offense does that. It's all about, it's all about getting guys in space. Like how many wide receivers are like T Higgins, was really the only wide receiver in the rookie class whose job was to play on the outside and, and catch the ball in tight coverage. Like Uh, Justin Jefferson was not boxing dudes out. He was running freaking slants. Justin Jefferson was running slants. Uh, You know, he was, he was doing a Michael Thomas impression for the Vikings.
1: Yeah. But okay. But that almost gets to the point of like Justin Jefferson was doing that with his like superior speed. You know, sure. like, yeah, he, he was doing that with his 4.42 second, 40 times.
0: One, well, he's a great route runner. So yeah. he could create his own space.
1: Right. And so like, I just, you know, for these smaller guys, they have to like, I don't know. I just, I feel like they have to have the speed element because if they don't, then they can't win in contested catches. If that situation ever arises, uh, and they have to be exceptional route runners. And like, you just can't count on that, you know? So, and you can't count on offensive coordinators being awesome enough to scheme open subpar small athletes. You know, like I, I just, I don't want to count on stuff like that. So I I just want to know what some of these smaller wide receivers, what they run. Uh, and once I know that, then I will feel better about many of them.
0: Okay, actually, I have one more guy I want to discuss before we get to our last thing. And it is um, Chubba Hubbard, who was like, consensus number one or number two running back coming into the year for this class. Like he was ahead of Najee Harris, his soft, his true sophomore year at Oklahoma state 328 carries 2094 yards, 23 receptions, 198 yards, but also had 22 receptions as a rookie. So like clearly a guy who could catch passes, you know, not, not a huge part of his game, but then injured, this year as a junior, but then not only, not only was he injured, he also got outproduced by all of his backups, right? Uh, uh, Desmond Jackson came in and in, I think only three starts racked up 547 yards and four touchdowns um, uh, caught five passes. Chubbart only caught eight. Like even when Hubbard was involved, his production was terrible. I mean, uh, he had a game against Kansas where he for the he did end up having a good game, but then in the second like ended up with 145 yards, but no receptions. Like really struggled against Tulsa in the first game to start the year. 25 carries and 72 yards against Texas. Like r- just was not good. I kind of wonder if he might be a second round value though, where some team just just like look pandemic, his quarterback was hurt, you know, just weird stuff. We still really like him and plans to draft him. as like a guy who can contribute as his rookie year and he's going to go in the second round.
1: Yeah. So he could have entered the draft last year because he but was did a, it cost a, himself a, b- a yeah, lot of money. I think. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He would have been a, a 21 year old red shirt sophomore, uh, you know, like coming into the league. So a 21 year old rookie. So that, that would have been great. Uh, yeah, definitely cost himself, but I do think he will still go on day two, maybe more at this point, round three instead of the second round. But I do think he will probably go on day two. And I do think in, in, rookie drafts he will end up being a value because he he does have uh I think the uh the requisite pass catching capability although we didn't really see it this year um and we certainly saw last year what he could do in a full season when he was healthy so I'm like I'm not going to put too much weight on what happened this year because it was just a really weird year
0: yeah all right last thing the best life optimization tip you can give um so I, I'll just say, like, I don't think I'm all that great
1: at optimizing life, um, but 2020 was, uh, I mean, as much of a shitstorm as it was for a lot of people, it was actually a really good year for me personally. And
0: that's, I, I that's think, fairly common with DFS people for yeah. whatever reason, I think because it forced all, all of us to work a lot harder because we didn't have yeah. anything to do. But like 2020 was the best uh, fantasy football and DFS year of my life, too. Yeah.
1: And, and uh, yeah, as you say, like it, I think it forced, it forced us to do things. And and for me, it, I think it forced me to cut out a lot of bullshit. So like my assumption when the pandemic hit was that at some point I was going to catch the virus. So yeah. I wanted to be as healthy as possible for when that happened. So uh, I started exercising more. I started sleeping more. Uh, I totally cut out alcohol. Now I should say that has started to to creep back in. Uh, I probably need to cut it out again, but uh, I tried to watch a little less TV. Basically, I was just trying to think long-term. And I also started to think a little bit more about my time. Like if something was worth doing, then think about how much time uh, it requires and then try not to go over that allocated time. And then if something is not worth doing, put literally zero time into it. So like- this year or i guess last year in 2020 i made like a very concerted effort to focus on the shit that matters and then let everything else just fall away so like made a a clear decision to try to prioritize i guess that's that's the way of putting it it makes me think of like the uh the warren buffett myth i don't think it's an actual story like a, and something that actually happened but the story is that uh, someone came to him for like life advice. And so Buffett told him to write down the top 25 things he wanted to accomplish in his life uh, and then told him to rank them and then to draw a line under uh, the top five and then basically cross out everything that was like numbers six through 25. And like just just to sacrifice that because that would be the stuff that would keep him from accomplishing the top five. Uh, And so I guess another way of putting it is like make sacrifices, Um, you know, but like by prioritizing and focusing on the things that matter most, uh, putting all of your attention there, you are going to have to make some sacrifices. There are some things that, you know, like in theory do matter to you, but if you want to maximize the things at the top of your priority list, you have to let some of the other things just fall away. And so I guess that would be the advice. Like, I feel like this year I've done a pretty good job of focusing on the things at the top of the list and putting zero effort into the things that ultimately don't matter. Like the things that aren't going like 20 years from now, the things that aren't going to be something that impacted my life. So like trying just to, to maximize or allocate my time uh, to the, I don't know, just to the utmost and then let everything else fall away.
0: So mine is, mine is similar to that because I also want to be using my time more effectively, but I'm also a degenerate gambler. So what I have done to kind of aid the process of prioritizing also similar to the lines of view of like, I'm, I have not got the virus yet. I don't even, I don't I didn't even test positive for the antibodies because I have been um, like very strict about quarantining and, and everything. But Wanting to be healthier, so I I've booked a bunch of prop bets. Right, I've booked weight loss bets. I booked meditation bets. I have a reading bet with Ryan Hodge and Peter Overzet. I have an exercise bet booked with um, Matt Lamarca, A weight loss bet booked with David Kitchen, and. I know that this does not, this like for a lot of normal people that wouldn't really work because they don't have the same, um, lack of serotonin producers in their brain because they haven't ruined their brains yet, but it (laughs) it worked for me. So my, my like GTO life optimization tip is if there's something you really want to get done, whether it's like, I want to read 10 books this year, or I want to lose 20 pounds, or I want to exercise an hour a day, make it a bet don't, don't say, don't make it a resolution, give yourself uh, a consequence. And it could even be a bet with yourself. Like um, if I don't do this, I have to sell some of my Bitcoin. Or if I don't do this, I can't order Postmates for, for six months or just like some, like some sort of resolution, some sort of goal you want to accomplish with a personal consequence. That is, that is my GTO tip.
1: You know, that makes me think uh, you're basically turning it into a game, you know, yeah, like game, you're gamifying it. Yeah. yeah. And, and like, I, I do that all the time with my personal stuff and, and it's, it's not bets with other people, although I, I think that's a, a fine way of doing it, but like, I will like create little games with myself when it comes to like accomplishing uh, the smaller things that feed into the bigger picture task. That i have to do and it's like it's like childlike it's, it's stupid that i have to trick my mind into thinking of this like reframing it as a game but it, it does help me it, it, it like helps me get through the tedium of the day so uh yeah gamifying stuff i think is is an excellent way to be able to accomplish the small things that you need to
0: yeah i mean the, the power of gamifying on my mind it, it, I have I have the most crystal clear example of it my return on investment on FanDuel regardless of sport is higher than on DraftKings the, the games on DraftKings are tougher um the contest structures are less favorable. They're FanDuel, FanDuel offers better games at my price point, like, uh, like, like in terms of MME than DraftKings does like on DraftKings, it's either uh, a buck or you have to go up to like 10 bucks to, to put in 150 and FanDuel offers three and four and $5 contests, um, for one fifty all the time. But DraftKings has a better gamifying system. They have the missions, they have the achievements, um, and that you earn very small amounts of rake back for in the terms of crowns. But I I play 5X as much on DraftKings as I do on FanDuel because DraftKings has gamified their website and FanDuel has not at all. There's no gamification on FanDuel in terms of you know extra things that you can earn or accomplish. And my brain just naturally I just I I am I am addicted to playing on DraftKings in a way that I am not on FanDuel because of that gamification. That's amazing.
1: And, and it's like, it's amazing one that they thought of that. It's amazing that FanDuel hasn't taken that step. It's amazing that you know it and that you still aren't like doing the optimal thing of, of playing more on FanDuel just because yep. it's fun. Just because it, it, you have a better experience emotionally, uh, instinctively by playing on DraftKings. All of that is amazing.
0: Yeah. But you know, what, uh, what can you do, man? You're, you're a prisoner of your environment. You're a prisoner of your own brain. Um, I, I also, I would love to make my resolution to spend less time on Twitter, but I just, I don't know. That's a very hard one for me. Oh, you know what? Yeah. That's, that is something that I,
1: uh, really made an effort to do this year, uh, to where like, if I was going to be on Twitter, I was going to be owning my time on it. And that's part of where the AMAs came from was like, just like, okay, if I'm there, I'm going to maximize my engagement or like my interaction with people. And then when I'm not doing that, I'm not on Twitter. Just not
0: on it at all. Yeah. Yeah. That would be, that would be a, a I might steal your bit. Probably not. Cause I don't want to, I don't want to um, uh, create that expectation from people, but I, I need to do some sort of bet or gamification with someone or with myself or figure out something. Cause I just, I do, it's, it's the ultimate time suck and, you know, trying to work on this book, trying to uh, you know, play a lot of DFS and it's just, I mean, time spent on Twitter, you can tell for, for us specifically, you can tell yourself it's part of your job, uh, you know, which is, yeah. which is kind of why it, uh, why the, the time suck is so intense. Yeah.
1: It, and yeah. it, it is part of your job. That was why, like, honestly doing the AMAs was like the best thing I did this year, because like being on Twitter is part of your job. Building an audience is part of your job. But I just, it was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it in a very focused way to where I, I maximize what I'm getting out of it. And then when I'm not doing it, I'm just, I'm off of it entirely. Or at least I try to be off of it entirely. Sometimes I, I backslide, especially like when it's a heavy news day and it's like, uh, holy shit, I just got to go on to Twitter to see what people right. are saying. But yeah. yeah, for the most part, I'm just, I'm trying to avoid it.
0: Yeah. All right, man. Long show. Good show. Thank you very much for uh, for coming on. shill, shill the people on uh, on the Action Network.
1: Yeah, so, I mean, obviously, I, I write at the Action Network. Now that we're not uh, in season, uh, you know, doing more draft-focused content, uh, I will have, you know, some mock drafts coming out, some, you know, player profiles uh, looking at the guys who are going through the draft process. So all of that content will be on Action Network. And, uh, yeah, during March Madness, I will probably have a lot of March Madness player prop content uh, because that was something i did you know pretty heavily two years ago uh and it went well obviously we didn't have it last year so hopefully we get march madness this year and uh if that happens i will be leaning pretty heavy into the player prop content
0: yeah all right everyone follow matt on twitter best twitter name in the game at matt f the oracle and uh stay tuned we'll be back next week with another episode